She's April. And she's Molly. <laughs> and we are <laughs> the Book Besties. <laughs> Why did you rush the end? You had a bucket full of rocks you hid from me. I will bury you in my garden. Not cool. Leave the little Antichrist alone. He just wants some music. Mm, no. He's gonna hide under your bed, but he's also gonna do your laundry. Fuck, Molly, what is wrong with us? I wanna meet the abominable snow person. I feel like this conversation has not developed organically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we should do that again or just nope. leave it. <laughs> nope. New, new intro. We're fucking with each other. <laughs> I do think at some point we could just reuse intros we've already done, but for some reason I get so excited every time we do it that I like... It's like a primer. I like it. Yeah, I, I don't it. know. A, I need it. <laughs> um, so our new couch arrived today. We Finally! Have been, we have been couchless for two months because we almost moved to Ohio. Um, right. <laughs> and Tom decided... You know, as one does. Right. Accidentally moving. Right. And Tom had decided that the couch, the old couch was in his way doing the I mean, like. Obviously. Well, we had a, the boys had like the couch we had before was a reclining couch, which we have a new reclining couch, but that one, the boys reclined it back too far and actually put a hole in the wall. So Tom had to repair <laughs> the hole in the wall. So instead of being like a normal person and realizing that like we would not have a couch until we moved to Ohio, he just got rid of the couch so he could repair the wall, not move the couch, just got rid of it. So Relocated we've got, it. We've got to the trash, Molly. He were, threw it were out. You, were you do a new couch? Like, was it an old one? Um, it was falling apart because my husband doesn't believe in warranties. And so my kids broke it. Like <laughs> they, I, he doesn't believe in warranties. He doesn't, he but it's a scam. I convinced him this time that we needed a warranty for both the new chair and the new couch. Uh, like my kids are rough on, on things and it's I mean, not are rough in general. Right. And that's what I was to say. It's not because we're not raising them to be like respectful of like property. It's just that like, they're, They're really, really rough. Like, that's just who they are as humans. And um, so, yeah, they broke and it. Not, I want to be clear. It's not a violent rough. They, oh, they no. Play hard. Oh, no. Oh, no. They just, they, play hard. they like, they jump on the couch and they like, you know, sword fight with each other, lightsaber, like, you know. <laughs> I mean, they're boys. Like, they're it's boys. It's boys. Um, and so... Yeah, the couch was, uh, the old one was pretty cheap. And Is it, it was, feeling better on your back? Because I know you haven't been feeling the best. Well, so I have issues with my hips where I have like bursitis flare-ups in my hips. Mm -hmm. And so I, the new couch needs to be like sunk in. Like it needs somebody to sit in it for a while. So I'm letting Tom do that. And I'm going to sit in the chair that we've had I mean, for about the, a month. let the hardcore boys go on it. Let them just little jungle gym it a little bit. Floor is lava, right? Floor is lava. Fuck that. We don't need to break it. We just need to break it in. So There's I've been sitting in the... There's a fine line between breaking it in and breaking it. Well, we have not discovered that in our household. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to sit in the chair for a while because it elevates my hips, right? But like, I've been taking a steroid that my doctor put me on. First of all, my doctor mansplained to me that the issue was not my hip. The issue was the muscular tissue around the hip area. And I was like, you motherfucker. You've got to be fucking kidding like, me. You're telling me how my pain feels. 
Well, he's like, your hip bone is on this part of your leg, and this isn't really the hip. This is the ligaments and muscles. I'm like, you know like what? It. You know what? I don't fucking care. Just give me the medicine to make it better. Make it so, make it fucking so stop. he put me on a steroid, and the first day that I took the steroid, we actually took the boys to the movie theater, and I went pee four times in the movie. And I texted Nurse Katie, and I was like, "Do steroids make you pee a lot?" She goes, "Yep." And then I was like, I "Okay, great." Too? And I was like, I was like, do they also uh, make you feel uh, like your heart is palpitating like really fast? And she's like, yep, yep, that's road, road rage. And I was like, why would anybody willingly do this to themselves? So like now I'm almost finished with it. I have three days left of pills. So like when this episode comes out, I'll have just finished. And um, like my muscles are sore because like, I guess that's what series does. It like yeah. builds you up and breaks you down. And like, I don't know why anybody would choose this life. I don't it know. I'm not allergic for me. to them. Every time a doctor tries to give really? them to me, I tell them like, my old rheumatologist would be like, this is so stupid. Anytime you start a new medication, like infusion wise, mm-hmm. they have to give you a high dose of Benadryl and they usually give you a high dose of steroids with it. Okay. To, like help fight your, help your body calm down. Because right? your body's, the reason you're doing these these infusions is your body's fucked. Right. So they give you all these meds together. And every time I go, I can't take the steroid. The steroid makes me flip, like have hives. I, I, I've had, mm-hmm. you know, like a bad reaction to it. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, that's not all steroids. Okay. So I argue with the doctor for a little bit. They usually win the argument because I'm tired of doing it. Mm-hmm. Then I end up having a reaction in office. Yeah. You because know what I you're fucking about. told them. Right. And every well, time they're always shocked going, we thought the Benadryl would counteract it. And you're like, I told you motherfuckers. It wasn't going to counteract You it. know, I, I actually told Katie this. Um, so I take a medication that uh, is has a generic brand and no insurance company wants to pay for the name brand because the generic brand has been essentially proven to be exactly the same. Right. And so I actually pay a significant amount of money because I'm allergic to the generic brand. And I've had three Ah. different medical professionals, a doctor and two pharmacists tell me that there is absolutely no way that I'm allergic to this. I told Katie this a few days ago and she was like, oh yeah, I have patients that have that problem with that medicine. And I'm like, why did they make me feel like I was crazy? Because they are being lazy and they don't want to do the work to see the difference. I get migraines, so I can't take the generic brand. So we have to pay a shit ton of money for my medication. And it's like, it's like a life sustaining one. Like if I don't take it, like, right. It would You're, be very bad for right. me. So I, I, I've had meds like that. I um, The way rheumatology works and RA and lupus and all those, mm-hmm. like wh- most insurances re- won't let you take one medication without trying another one first. So you literally have to go through trial by error with meds with yeah. a lot of insurances mm-hmm. to get to the med you actually want. Mm. Yeah. I think Katie Anyways. talked to us about, about that when she came on for My Sister's Keeper as well yeah with the this is not a health podcast if you're just <laughs> joining us for the first time ever this is a book podcast and we're today about- we're going to talk about what book we're we talking about the house in the cerulean sea the house in the cerulean sea i am so obsessed i painted TJ blue like i am obsessed with this book it is it is it is so first of all shout out to your friend leslie oh leslie we love you so so hope you're feeling better we miss you Oh, is she not feeling well? She's been having some surgeries. I'll Aww. talk to you about it later. Well, feel better, Leslie. Um, so she suggested this book, 
And um, holy shit, I'm so glad she did. Um, oh my god, it's so good. Piper finished it in 24 hours. Really? I I do this thing if a book's appropriate, like when Chessie when we did um, Cats and first Chessie book, first Chessie Eliza book, and a monster, Eliza. Um, you know, I let them read that after, but we mm-hmm. take turns. They take turns, you know, off and on. Well, it's Liv's mm-hmm. turn next, but she was in the middle of a book. Mm-hmm. So I told Piper, I go, you can start it, but you have 48 hours because I know mm-hmm. your sister will be done with her book by then. Right. And then you're handing it over. And Piper took it as a challenge. So Piper I Addison mean, demolished it. I have a few she books. Said it was her new I... favorite. It's her new favorite book. Yeah. I have a few books that I finished in a day. This was definitely not one of them because I was listening to the audiobook and also it's for almost 400 pages, but props to you, Piper. But I, I have to say, hmm, I know we're going to talk about my Goodreads rating and we're going to talk about my feelings on this book, but Molly, this might be one of my favorite we've covered for pod ever, ever, Same. Yeah. ever. And I mean, ever. like PJ Clune, if you're hearing us, my friend. We have lots of thoughts and ideas, and, I, yeah. and I, I'm going to talk about them, and we would love yeah. to talk to you about them. Yeah. Talk to uh, you about all the things. Yeah. I were, How yeah. about a synapsis and we'll get into questions? Okay. I'm ready. Give it to me, Because we're girl. ready. I, I, M- Matthew even said, Matthew listened to half this book with me when we had to go pick the girls up, and he doesn't want spoilers. He has deemed it a spoiler-free book. He's going to finish the audiobook the first book my husband's wanted to finish in a long time it's a great audiobook it's too it's so good just one thing and i'm gonna get to it okay i'm gonna get to okay. it give us the synopsis girl linus baker likes to follow the rules he has a job working for dicom or the department or as it's also known as department of in charge of magical youth and he likes helping the magical children One day, he is tasked by very upper management to spend a month at a top-secret orphanage. From the moment he sees the sea, his life starts to change. Let's talk about this book and why bursting your bubble is okay. Also, let's talk about the shelf appeal of this cover. It is beautiful. Like, this is one that, like, uh, this has shelf appeal. This would be front-facing in my library. It, it was probably it was actually in an LGBTQ uh, display at Barnes and Noble at, when um, I bought it. I don't want to sh- look at the the like the way the font is for each yeah. chapter. Look how pretty that it. is! Like, yeah. it, it, it it's a beautiful book. It, it's just really cool. Okay, and, right, and there are um, if you do listen to the audiobook, it's worth just looking at the. Uh, physical book because there are like letters and things and so you can see the format yeah. um but it's so good it's so good it's okay, so good well, let's actually right, let's actually talk about it like yeah <laughs> we could just keep saying it's so good for an hour but like hour? that's not what the people are here for molly <laughs> so first question this book in my opinion is an instant classic uh yeah we're seeing it all over the socials and it's yeah. a great story yeah where slash how do you classify this in a library? Fantasy, new adults, middle grade? Where is librarian April putting it? I hate this question. So this I know is, I knew you were gonna hate it. That's why I kind of put it on here because I needed to know where it goes. I hate this question. To me, this is not YA or middle grade. You can definitely read it and understand it and comprehend it, but it's adult fiction. Um you think so, so I think so. And um Mostly because the main character is an adult and 
There is cussing. I will say that. But well, I mean, there's like there's worse than YA. But no, to me, this is adult novel. But um, here's the thing: most libraries uh, are not <laughs> genreified, um, and so it would just go in fiction. But if I were to put it in a genre category. Um, I would put it in fantasy because of the magic and the magical mm-hmm. creatures. Um, and uh, so that's where I would put it. Uh, it honestly reminds me of like a really interesting D&D campaign. Like, oh my God, yes. Um, and so, yeah. Oh, so yes. Th- this is a good one. Um, I actually found it on a display in a Pride Month display at Barnes and Noble. Really, and I didn't even know it was LGBTQ. And the it's interesting, so subtle. It's, it's so subtle. So subtle. And the interesting thing about this, and I think we talked about this when we read the Gunkle, was that um, we had we had the other two uh, Pride Month books we had chosen were romance novels, mm-hmm. and I had made the comment that it's important that we read LGBTQ books that aren't necessarily romance that are just like the character but happens to be gay because there is people, romance, but there isn't, it's right. not the primary focus. Right. And, and, and I didn't even know. And that was just like a lovely little surprise for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so I would put it in fantasy. I would not put it in romance. It is not a romance novel. Um, it's a fantasy novel. Um, and I'd say YA fantasy or like, New adult fantasy, not adult. I, I don't think you're going to get either of those. Uh, because if I, I, I don't think I could ever get anybody my mother's age group to read this. Um, I think it appeals to like the bookstagrammers and book talkers, which are mostly like uh, our age 30s, and younger. 20s, yeah. Um, but I still don't think it's new adult. I really just no. see fiction and fantasy particularly. I mean, Linus is 40, so he's my age, which, age is not really, yeah. which is not new adult. Like, no. I'm, I'm not a new adult. I'm pretty adulted adult. He's got he's got a spare tire. He ain't machine to say it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I would say fantasy if we're going to put it in a genre. Um, but that doesn't mean that this isn't a book that can appeal to a younger audience. I, I would, mean, I would definitely. My 11-year-old's loving it already. I would, I, mean, de- I would definitely that. agree. I would definitely agree that like it definitely, it has a younger appeal. But that's the same thing as like books that have an, uh, an older appeal. Like for example, um, John Green, who we're going to cover next week, like mm-hmm. his books are YA, but they appeal to all ages. So, um, Like this is, if this was a TV show, and I want to talk about that later, but if this was a TV show, this would be one that is first thing on primetime so the whole family can watch it. Mm. I don't think you could have it at 8 o'clock. I would say 9. You think so? Yeah. Okay, we'll get into that when we get deeper in. But um, let's go to the next question. When we first meet Linus, we see right away he is compassionate to these magical right. children. right. And seems to have a heart bigger than his co-workers. Mm-hmm. When he makes it back to the office, you can see he's literally and figuratively doesn't fit in. Right. He is living a basic life. Mm-hmm. Do you? I have a couple like add-ons to this question. Do you find him to be a relatable main character? I think he is a relatable main character. And I think that uh, TJ Klune did a really good job of making him the everyman, yes. but also the outside of the everyman so he's the everyman 
that we all want to relate to. Like we want to be compassionate and caring and we want to want, hope for a better world. But in the society in which Linus lives, he is outside of that norm. Yeah, he's definitely an outcast. Right. And in some ways, uh, his character reminds me of, uh, I mean, legitly of somebody who's worked for CPS for a really long time and yeah. has seen all the things and just has to shut their mind off. Like, why would I follow up on what happened to them after I've passed them off to the next person? Like, because that's not, not my, my job. job. Right. I'm and you a number and I move on. I, and you have to have that sort of separation or you won't survive in a business like that. I actually yeah. had a roommate um, for a year who was an investigator for CPS. And like, that's all she did. She went out, she would investigate and then she'd pass it off to whatever the next person. In right. The- and she w- never followed yeah. up because she couldn't like that well, needed to you- be car- compartmentalized. Because you have, I mean, if you hold on to every kid in a bad situation, it'll break you. Right. It'll break you. I mean, the same with teachers, teachers know when they have students that have been abused, teacher right. knows when they're they have a student that doesn't have lo- clean water at home, yeah. or you know isn't food at the house. They can tell a difference in the child right. that is struggling and not you. Right. That's when you have to do your job, help the child in the professional setting you're in, right, and move on. And I think that's what one of the great things about Linus is his change in this book. Right. He goes from being a cog in the machine. Right. To filling himself out. You know what I mean? Right. He's finally becoming his full po- right. person. Like, right. He, does that make sense? Like he Absolutely. is. Absolutely. I, I think he's definitely changed by the kids on the island. He's definitely changed by them. I do think, um, I don't know what, part of our conversation to bring this up. So I'm just going to do it now. That's fine. I was surprised at who was, who was considered a magical creature, particular, or magical person, magical child, Mm -hmm. particularly on the Island. Because when I read the back of this book, or actually, I don't even know that I did that. I read Leslie's summary and was like, okay, good. Uh I want this. I'm in. Yeah. I was thinking that they were all human children. But interestingly, that's They're not the case. I, I'm going to break down all the kids. In okay. A little bit. Um, okay. So, but I do we think we talked about his yeah. trajectory. We talked about um, what do you think of his voice and his tone of this character specifically from TJ Clune? He, I, I personally feel like he has a good, con- like he knows who this character is. We've yeah. seen writers that you can tell they've written a whole book but don't know the characters. Right. What do you think? Uh, yeah, so are you a fan of Parks and Rec? I know that's my favorite I show. Obsessed with it, yeah. Okay, so um, he Linus reminds me a lot of Ben Wyatt, especially Facts. especially when Ben comes in um, for the first time, and it's Chris and Ben, and they're there to like basically audit the yeah, government. Yeah, shut it down. Yeah, and Leslie is like, I can't believe you're doing this to to us, and Ben's like, Your government is doing this to you. Like this is you have put yourself in this position that we are here. And that's the Linus character at the beginning. He's very much Ben. He's very much, I'm here because you are not following the rules. I have a job to do, and I'm going to evaluate to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do. And then he eventually turns, sorry. The Linus at the end of the book is the Ben that marries Leslie. Like he, it is a growth of, right. It, it, 
it's he never had any place that he felt at home and that he wanted to stay until he went to the island and that was the same thing with ben and comes with ben ben like literally was a child who became a mayor and then his whole world just descended on him right like linus um, baker reminds me a lot of ben wyatt yeah i can see that Mm -hmm. i'm gonna skip this one the department in charge of magical youth, DICOM, mm-hmm. is how all persons of magic are tracked and watched. Do you think this is a comment politically? Mm-hmm. Um, do you see it mirroring present day life at all? Um, it's definitely a commentary on tracking people. And yeah. um, I I kind of got that feeling from the beginning, but really at the end of the book when they start dismantling the system. Uh-huh. Um, they were basically registering people that were different. And we've seen that happen historically. I mean, that happened, you know, with the Holocaust. That was yeah. what Nazi Germany was doing. Was um, literally just trying to erase a whole race. Right. And, uh, I mean, we still want to register people. Yep. Um, yep. And, and, and not everybody wants to do that. No, no, uh, and not all, all right or left are on, eh, eh, yeah. 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 I think that it definitely is commentary on uh, other, being Mm -hmm. someone who is other. It's a conversation on that for sure. Right. It is a... But I don't think it's like so politically charged like a book like All American Boys where it's very obvious that like right. we are making a comment this on is society. A subtle like it's subtle as the LGBTQ plus you know atmosphere, right? It is I don't know that you know, I think that's very subtle atmosphere. <laughs> I mean they literally call their parade pride. So no, I mean like no, I mean like in here. This is not. Oh, yeah. This is not a forced LGBTQ plus book. No, I mean, and I don't even think that the commentary was on being LGBTQ. No, no I, and he's not forcing the whole, you know, separation kid right. thing. He's just making it a part of the story. Right. And I like that he's subtle. And I uh, like that it's done through the lens of children. Yes. Because. Um, we're going to get to the kids, I promise. I got one more question. Well, no, I'm not. This isn't This isn't going to derail us. I, I, I feel like that it's through the lens of children because I feel like um, we are quicker to judge adults and put them in categories and want them to stay in their categories than we are for children. Facts. Like, as adults, we don't want to put children in categories. As adults, we put adults in categories. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas uh, that's what's happening in this book. Like they are literally saying from birth, from the time we realize that you are different, you will be different. Be different, yeah. You will be labeled. You will be found wanting. You, um, well, I mean, and if you don't have family, mm-hmm. which your family could get destroyed, we see that right. happen. We do see that. And a lot of the family, the parents were deceased or presumed dead. Um because otherness is evil. Right. It's an orphanage, but no one's actually going to adopt kids there. So it's not really an orphanage. It's, um, a, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a home for kids. It's a holding yeah. cell basically. And then like, they don't get into this, but like, I want to know what happens after they've grown up and they go out into the world. Probably like, what? 
what, what they do in our foster care system. They give them a hundred bucks and push them out the door and tell them good luck. I mean, it's a fucking shame. It is. Uh, that's depressing. <laughs> but this book is so uplifting. Like, what oh, are we doing? We're okay. not doing it justice. Writing style tropes are a big part of our conversation when we cover any book. What did mm-hmm. you think about this author and his voice and the use of them in this book? Um, I want to read his other book, uh, Under the Whispering Door, which is advertised on the back here. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked him. I think his writing is smart. Um, I don't feel like it ever had a bad pace. Like there wasn't, this book was 400 pages long and it didn't ever feel like to me, like it was dragging on. No, um, no. I was panicking when I was getting to the end and he wasn't back at the island yet. And like, I had like an hour left in the book and he hadn't made his way back to the island. Yeah. I was really panicking. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't surprised that he made it back and there was like a half hour after, but, but, but less than an hour into the, left in my audiobook and he's not there yet I am I, I'm nervous I want there <laughs> I want there to be a sequel to this book and there isn't I and I, I live in this world forever I love it like I, I you it. can write you can write a whole series and I'm here for it because it's I, just I, adorable it is I don't know how you can make me feel like, oh, the Antichrist is so cute like that's not normal that's not no. normal to feel that way um, speaking of the kids uh-huh how Linus slowly meets these children on the island feels intentional by the author, but also organic at the same time. Mm-hmm. What did you think about this? In the end, we also get a mirroring of this as he returns to the island. So I have a little breakdown that I got from um, a website, starstats8.com, which I will share in things in, in the notes that talks about the breakdown of these kids. Lucy, short for Lucifer, is six years old. Antichrist. He's got a wicked sense of humor and likes to make threats for fun. <laughs> Talia is 200 and some odd year old gnome, but who has a beard. And she's an expert gardener that likes to hit people with her shovel and very, and she really, really wants to find out if humans make good fertilizer. <laughs> Every time that time that little gnome says she wants to brain somebody with her shovel, I laughed out loud audibly. Yeah. Audibly. Um, Chauncey is a green anamorphous blob. His eyes are stalks on the top of his head, which, and his desire, his true dream is to grow up and be a bellhop one day. It's adorable. Uh, Fee, which, when you're listening to the audiobook, sounded like F-E or P, and then some points it sounded like a Q sound, so I had to actually look this up. Fee is a forest sprite. She's very, um, she doesn't trust anybody and she's very wary and we learned that she has a very good reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sal, a very shy boy that is uh, a anamorph mm-hmm. and can, turns into a Pomeranian. But what's special about Sal is if he bites someone, they also turn. Yes. And then our last is a Wavern, which is Theodore. And he speaks in chirps and uh, is, his favorite thing is treasure, which he hides under the living room couch. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Um, I did so let's wanna... talk about these kids. Okay, so um, where do you want to start? Um, let's talk about how Linus met them mm-hmm. and how it was, in, 
very intentional by the author, but felt very organic and like a great lead into how the world is on the island. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I know that he met Talia first and that was yep. a really funny encounter because Talia is not only a gnome, she's a girl gnome and mm-hmm. apparently right they don't here. exist. So I had to ask Tom that. And apparently that is one like thought in like the D and D world is that gnomes are all men. Um, and I know so, how he met them in order. I remember the order they were met in. So if you want me to go over that. I don't know. I feel like this conversation has not developed it organically. Okay. <laughs> and I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Let's go back. So you asked Tom about the gnomes. I asked Tom about the gnomes. And so sometimes that is like a thought process that they're all men. Right. Um, and so that's what makes her unusual. And they actually talk about that in the book. Like, have you ever met? a girl no uh-huh. and Linus is like no I haven't um I think she's really funny I love that she develops a friendship with the mayor who's a garden owns a garden shop and um like she's just really the funny whole conversation between them about like like how terrible a a certain shovel is I know and <laughs> it's super cute I did think like my issue with Talia was that I kept thinking to myself, who is going to take care of her for 300 years? Because, and this was actually my question with a lot of these kids, because like Talia lifespans are different. Their lifespans are different. So like Talia is going to not be full grown for another 300 years. So that was weird to me. Uh, My favorite of the kids was probably, um, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot his name. Lucy. No, the dog. Oh, Sal. Sal. The writes, the writes poetry. And the description of Sal that TJ Klune gives the very first time that we meet Sal is he is a large black boy. Mm-hmm. And the description is that he's very big, like very, very large, um, like intimidatingly large. And the fact that he turns into a tiny ass little Pomeranian dog is such a commentary on not judging someone's character by the way that they look. Look. Right. And I just loved him. Um, I loved his fragility. I loved the fact that he was in that home because he had been abused and he hadn't really ever had anyone that truly loved him before. Arthur is a truly solid human being. Right. And then he has Arthur who loves him like a father and actually refers to them as his kids. And Linus Mm -hmm. is like, they're not your kids. They're your wards. And then by the end of the book, he's like, Oh wait, they're actually they his children. His um, and and Sal finds a family for the first time. And like how beautiful that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I Lucy also, calls them his siblings. He like, does. Lucy calls Sal his brother. He does. I also really like Chauncey. The idea that his big dream so was much. to be a bellhop. Like he just and wanted like, to help and, people. And he wants to help people. And like when they go to town for the first time and he meets the ta- local bellhop. I know. And Chauncey is complimenting him and telling the, the bellhop what a great job he's doing. And the bellhop feels so appreciated. That and he, he gives, gives him, him his, his hat. hat. Oh my gosh. That was so cute. <laughs> um, I just love that Chauncey was told he was a monster and he didn't want to be that. Like he didn't want to no. be a monster like, because he wanted to help people. Like he's going to hide under your bed. But he's mm-hmm. also going to do your laundry. He's also going to do your laundry. <laughs> I mean, I would adopt And him. expect a tip. <laughs> and expect a tip. Um, and my, I, sorry. I, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
I liked Lucy a lot. Um, I thought he was very funny and I kept referring to him as adorable when I was talking to Tom about him. And I was really struggling with that because like he's the antichrist. Yeah. But I mean, he didn't choose to be the antichrist. He was born the antichrist. It sort of reminded me, it sort of reminded me of, um, uh, what the hell is the book that we read in season two? There's a lot of them. The one with the antichrist. Adam, the Antichrist. Oh, you mean, uh... Fuck, Molly, oh what God. is wrong with us? Oh, my God. Good Omens. Good Omens, thank you. Um, yeah, so it sort of reminded me of Good Omens. Like, this kid was born <laughs> to do this, but, like, that's not necessarily who he was. Although I'm not totally convinced that Lucy wouldn't end up, like, destroying the world someday. It's just really cute for a seven-year-old to go... I will smite you and burn your head. And like, well, it's just and, funny. Well, Lucy, what's great about Lucy is, and I think this is a comment on like mental health and things like that. He talks about these spiders in his brain. Yeah. And he talks of, in the sadness in this child's mind when mm-hmm. he's talking about the things that are in his head and he can't mm-hmm. control them. It is very much a comment on mental illness in right. children, right? right. We are yeah. talking about anxiety, depression, things that children have no control over. I mean, he has these bad but dreams that, like, them yeah, he could has kill these, the world, destroy right, the world, right? But they manifest themselves physically. So, what he's and, dreaming is actually when, happening. When Lucy wakes up from these bad dreams, his first worry is always about others, mm-hmm. and it shows how how. But see, what she wants, he wants to be different, right? That's Arthur's influence. Arthur is telling him, you do not have to be defined by this label. They don't even use the word antichrist in the house. Like, no, because that's it, not how you have to define yourself. Like, no. you are Lucy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he share, shows him love and compassion. Yeah. And um, he teaches him, like, philosophers to, like, get him to think outside of, like, the negativity and, like, he he's truly loving that kid where he is. Like it's right. a beautiful right. thing, and that's and that's what we're supposed to do as parents. We right. love them for who they are, not who right. they want. We want them to be. Right. Um, my favorite character, I I think, is Talia. I I don't know if it's because she was like our guide, mm-hmm. meeting these other kids, yeah. and Talia and I have a very. She's chaotic. Like right, she is chaotic, and I, I I always I'm drawn to the chaotic. Like you are, she tricked Linus into thinking Theodore would help him find his cat, and then when he paid Theodore, he just vanished. You know, they never actually settle where that initial button comes from. I. They never settle it, and Arthur asks him. Arthur asks him where the button come from. I think um, when he passed out on the the train tracks, I think uh, Zoe put it in his pocket mm. knowing he was going to need good fortune with Theo. I don't I know if you're right. I was thinking that it was something Arthur did, but we don't, we know, we find out later what Arthur's magical right. is. But also, Arthur doesn't even seem know like he, he should be able to do. Right. right? In, in that first moment, he didn't know Arthur had arrived. Arthur didn't right. know he had arrived because Lucy was blocking him from seeing it. <laughs> oh, Lucy. Uh, um, I want to talk about Lucy some more. Uh, 
music plays a big part in the story from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Linus loves records and he bonds with Lucy over Right, him. right, right. Um, what did you think of the music choices? I also am going to be putting a playlist, one of many playlists in the comments. There are fans out there making the playlists on Spotify, That's YouTube, amazing. all of that. And it is perfect and spectacular. Well, first um, of all, the song um, American Pie is just such a classic and it's a favorite of mine, even though it goes on for 10 minutes. Um, and the idea of like Lucy's favorite being dead people music. Dead people. It's hilarious. Music. Me. Um, can I, I can I divert for a quick second here? Yeah, of course. The records and the vintage music really had made, made it difficult for me to like place a time period on this book. I think that um, was, intentional though there are so many things that happen that it's like oh it's clearly modern day and then there are other things that happen that it's like no this has got to be you know decades ago and so i was really struggling with like a setting like when is this taking place and i know that that was probably intentional but it also infuriates me so i need answers Mm -hmm. i can't i can't with it maybe tj will come on and talk to us i mean we could put it out there manifest that bitch (laughs) um and uh, he, he uses the music to tell the story, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, somewhere beyond the sea, mm-hmm. you know? Don't mm-hmm. you wish you were here? Like, all this mm-hmm. music. And Lucy in the record shop, Lucy in the record shop the first time, and mm-hmm. the guy tries to give Lucy an exorcist. <laughs> and the shop owner's so mad. He's like, not cool, man. Not, not cool, Not cool. Leave the little Antichrist alone. He just wants some music. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Piper Point loved, uh, she, since we're doing Lucy appreciation, she's like, she goes, he freaks out and starts talking about having a bird head under his his thing and like panics that there's nothing abnormal about it. And I go, Piper, kids hide shit in their rooms all the time that they know they're not supposed to have. She goes, I didn't. I go, you had a bucket full of rocks you hid from me. She goes, oh, yeah, I did. So every kid <laughs> has something that they hide. <laughs> Lucy's just happens to be a dead bird skull. <laughs> dead bird skull. Um, I, I thought um, the image of him baking while dancing to like the big bopper was just like, I mean, yeah. it was so funny. So mm-hmm. funny. The seven-year-old in an apron who's the Antichrist dancing and singing to 50s bop music. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> it, it, the imagery. It, this is the most beautiful book. I have ever read. There's clearly there's clearly a very beautiful picture painted. And mm-hmm. we talked this is something we talked about a lot uh in July when we were talking about like romance novels and like the show don't tell and write with the five senses. This is how you do it right. This yes, is that's what I was right. gonna say. Yes. That is how you write with the senses. I felt like I was on the island with Linus. I felt like I could feel and smell the salt air. And I could see these kids who were just different and so funny. Vibrant. And there was so much life in these words. And so- we both listened to the audiobook. And the audiobook narrator was so fantastic. Minus one thing. Okay. How do you say gazebo? gazebo how did the narrator say it gazebo 
That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yes, that bothered me, the pronunciation of gazebo. No, 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 you don't understand. It bothered me immensely. And it happens so much that it's not, like, a minor thing. Like, gazebo no, was no, said, like, no, five no. or six times. But no. but he no. was so good. He had clear voice for, like, all he of the characters. Character. Um, and, Tons and talk like this. Oh, my like, gosh. Like, awesome. like an eight-year-old with a missing front tooth. Right? That's exactly how he sounded. Yeah. I really like the narrator. I can get past Gazebo because that was a really good narrator. Um, We've listened to some bad narrators, Molly. We have. This Um, one is not it. So by chapter six, we don't know much about Arthur yet. Mm -hmm. But he has the respect of some very powerful children. Mm -hmm. Um, Could this have been a hint to him being more powerful and the reason the kids respected him? Or do you think that he had earned that before they knew the truth about him? I don't know that, I don't know that they did know the truth about him so much as like, we know that he has to be powerful because that's in his file. I mean, initially in his file, we don't have a lot of information on him. It's just Mm -hmm. like, he's this guy. It's super vague. But then it's like, super vague. We think we can trust Lucy with him because of who he is. I guess I just feel like I don't know enough about, that type of mythical creature to like phoenixes well but phoenix is a bird right like how is he a human but a bird that's what i want i don't know how they that he transitioned the phoenix lore into him being a shape-shifting phoenix yeah that's where i was really struggling like i Honestly, I kind of thought maybe he was going to end up being like a god because he was trying to make Lucy right. better and like Lucy. Or like an angel of some yeah, sort. Yeah. Like I thought he would be like an angel and then it would be sort of like good omens and that. Right. I liked the twist of him being a phoenix. Well, it's and just, I don't, he's a bird. But he's not a bird. He's a gay man bird. I mean,. That's one way to be flamboyant. Lots of feathers. <laughs> lots of feathers. Lots of fire. Um, this is perfect. The love story between Linus and Arthur is subtle and weaved in slowly. What did you think about it? Adorable. I literally was driving back from Alta, listening to the end of the book when they officially become a couple. And yeah. he said something about we should change that about them not being married. And I was like, oh, they're together. It's so cute. I'm literally ta- I'm literally talking to myself in my car. Like I'm talking to another person and I'm just like, oh, it's so cute. They're so cute. Um, I, I, my only thing is as much as I like them together and I'm really glad they ended up together. I almost feel like knowing that the previous investigator who went there also fell for Arthur and then like chose ambition. I kind of felt like is Arthur manipulating the situation and Linus is really being tricked with his clever bird. Maybe he's got some like mind juju. Yeah. Like we know he has some weird mind control stuff with, as a Phoenix. So and did, that's how so did like, Linus fall can, in love with him or did he it? Right. And so did Linus fall in love with him or is this like Stockholm Syndrome? I want to believe that he tricked the first guy and Linus. I want to believe that Linus is there for pure reasons. That he Linus loves him. fell in love with the kids, right? 
He loves those children. Mm-hmm. And... And that, that was legitly my only issue with this book, besides the audiobook narrator saying gazebo. My only issue was, like, <laughs> was Linus actually in love with Arthur in the end, or was this a manipulation of the phoenix? I don't think he would have mentioned marriage. I would hope he's not a, sex- a predator like that. You know? I want it to be real, because they, be they're real. really cute, and they um, make good dads for the kids when we were talking about linus i forgot to ask this question the knowledge linus has of magical kids shows us early he cares for them and their well-being well before he meets the children on the island mm-hmm. what did you think about the character development as he had like we're learning he he takes the time to study these things he's not just right. a guy that comes in texts on the kids and leaves like he's versed in the magicalness well right? i I think that's I think that's about who Linus is as a person. I don't think it's about the fact that he cares. I think it's about about the fact that he doesn't have anything else outside of his job. So right. he makes sure he continuously reads the manual and he's and, the best and, at his and job. And he makes sure that he's doing what's best. Now, do, does that mean that he doesn't care about the kids? No. I do think he cares about the kids, but mm-hmm. I think he cares about the kids insofar as a medical professional cares about their patient. Right. You have to distance yourself. Or, or, or you'll be, be sucked in. Right. Because you're going to houses that kids are being mistreated. Like, you have to right. distance yourself. And also, I feel like he had some also, serious... Also, dangerous. Right? right? Like, some right. of his kids have really dangerous... Linus and, and Talia straight up would murder him. And they have the chance for sure. For sure. And I do feel like he also, um, I think he had some OCD issues. Um, and, and so pajamas, the bed, the way the house is. Yeah. Right. And so I think that the OCD was contributing to like the fact that he was obsessively reading Mm -hmm. the manual and getting to know all the things. It made him very good at his job. It also made him really compassionate because he knew enough about these kids to think of them more than just the label. Um, but I don't think that that everybody that has those compulsions to read the manual would have been like Linus. Mm. And he's not like that in the beginning. He definitely, they break him down. Like they break him down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to talk about Zoe. I don't Mm -hmm. have a note about it, but I want to talk about her for a second. Zoe is not registered. Zoe is not registered. And she's an island sprite. Mm-hmm. And how that works is you have, she is the ruler or whatever you want to call it of mm-hmm. the island. Mm-hmm. So to be on the island, you have to have permission from her. Yeah. So she granted Linus access to the island mm-hmm. even before he was there. Right. It feels like one, Zoe was omniscient in a way that she knew Linus was going to be good. And two, she has a heavier hand than we're let on, right? I don't know that she always knew that Linus was going to be good. That uh, Arthur mentions that they decided it was finally time for people to know that she was helping the way that she was. Um, they don't talk about being forced to register since she isn't registered and they know that she's not registered. Mm-hmm. Like, do they force her to register now? I mean, clearly they're trying to dismantle that system. So no, that's not happening. Um, she's very powerful. She's really good for Fee because she can teach Fee how to harness that power. Right. Um, to me, you know who she reminded me of? She who? reminded me of 
and I don't think I'm going to even remember the character's name, but the woman from Harry Potter who marries Lupin. Oh, you mean Tonks? Tonks. She reminded me of Tonks. Oh, I didn't get that vibe. I got, I got vibe. um, she, I'm she picturing. A bit weird. Um, I was picturing, uh, the actress that plays Gamora, Zoe, uh, in. Oh, I know who you're Guardians talking about and I can't think of her name. Zoe in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Zoe Saladana. Yeah. She reminds me of, like, I'm imaging her as, like, like just the sleek, very, I don't know. Anyway, um, I wanted, we've talked about the kids already. I, I didn't talk- mean the actress Tonks who played Tonks. Oh, I meant, like, the, the character. The character. Yes. Got yeah. you. Sorry. Um, I want to talk about the kids some more about their mm-hmm. tragic lives. Uh-huh. All of these children have terrible history. Right. Like, um, the Fee mm-hmm. sat with her dying mother and... Turned a bunch of people into trees in the process. Before she passed out from starvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sal was abused and mm-hmm. ended up biting someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucy, they're not sure how Lucy came about. They just know his mom's dead. Uh, Chauncey was, Satan. huh? And his dad is Satan. His dad is Satan. Chauncey was told he was a monster that lives like the same thing as a monster that lives under the bed. So he'd hide under beds. Like Talia was taken away from her family. Did I remember that right? Yeah. And like, and they don't, and we never really learned about Theodore, but like, there is so much trauma here in these kids, right? Like, right. It's intense. I hate how heavy this episode has gotten because this book is so not heavy. No, but we're examining all of it. And I'm going to get to the fun stuff. Do you have a favorite scene? Let's move on. Do you have a favorite scene? Like, that Um, that brought you the most joy? So that's a different question. Because my favorite scene is actually when Linus sees the basement and realizes what happened to Arthur when he was a kid. Okay. I think that that moment of like, this is why he's doing better. It's, it's the moment that Linus is finally able to admit his feelings for Arthur, but also like his feelings about what is happening on the Island. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like my favorite, favorite comical one was uh, probably the very first time he meets Talia in the yeah. in the uh, garden. And she he's like, oh, this is a great statue. And she's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, <laughs> I, I will bury you in my garden. There's a lot of you. You will fertilize it. It'll be awesome. Like, that was, that was like the first introduction to, uh, you know, that, what will be. That's one of my favorite scenes. My favorite scene is, like, them slowly meet, him slowly meeting the kids mm-hmm. is gotta be. Um I have a love hate with the basement scene. Yeah. It, it felt it felt sad and depressing. It like, did, but it felt like a necessary climax as well. Right. Right. We didn't we knew Arthur reads that he that or sorry, Linus reads that Arthur is a phoenix, but they don't actually tell us that. We know that mm-hmm. he's read the file. We find out in that room when it's yeah. unveiled. Yeah. Um, it's very dramatic. Also, I really, we didn't talk about this character, but I really like the guy that drives the the boat, the the, the 
what do you call it? What, the, the fairy, fairy boat? boat? Like, the fact that he's not really defending uh, the kids, he just doesn't want the angry mob to cross because they didn't want to pay him. <laughs> what a nut job. <laughs> oh, he is. And he's like, it's going to cost you double. And he, they're all like, shut up. Yeah, he's a hot mess. And it turns and out that they didn't even need it because uh, Zoe's car just, like, goes on water. <laughs> I know. A salt water bridge. That's right. going to ruin my profits. Right. Right. Um, I liked <laughs> the exploration scenes, like when they went on like a magical. Oh, yeah. Um, so there seems to be two climaxes near the end of this book, mm-hmm. like major ones. Mm-hmm. The moment at the dock where Linus faces down, the moment at the dock, and then when Linus faces down, very upper management. Mm-hmm. Do you think both scenes were necessary in this story? Yes, because I think that the first thing Linus needed to do was confront the people who were actively against the kids. And then he needed to confront upper management who, frankly, the guy that sent him there, I know upper management as a whole sent him, but the guy who sent him there, I think there was a lot of jealousy issues. Like he wouldn't know what Arthur was doing because he He probably let a thing for him. Right. Right. Maybe Arthur isn't all Phoenix. Maybe he's part siren. And that's why he can manipulate men that way. I, I don't understand how the Phoenix Just thing works because he's human. And so I don't understand. Mr. Clune, come tell us so we know. Like, that's the, honestly, that's the only of the magical, like, I, that was kind of a letdown to me. I wanted him to be something mm-hmm. else. A Phoenix wasn't it for me. No. It wasn't it for me. No. And I also was actually surprised because I was kind of thinking, Lucy alludes to this. He talks about how there's magic in Linus. Yeah. And they never, I thought, because they the didn't book, pick at that scab. I thought that my, that Linus was actually going to be low key, like have some power. And then yeah. it involved the weather. because Oh, that would make sense. Because of the rain that constantly followed him. What a good catch. And then, you know, um, when he was on oh, the island, it was sunny. Um, well, I do, seeing the ocean I for the do first have time. a master's degree, so... In, like, book reading, I know. <laughs> but they never did that, and I was kind of disappointed because Maybe I he's thought... he's saving it for the second one. Is there going to be a second one? Manifest that shit, too! I want okay. a second book! That's my second to last book movie. And I want we the want Yeti more. to be there. We want more! The book yeah. ends in an epilogue that fast-forwards us in time to the island. Mm-hmm. We see that Arthur and Linus are planning on taking on another kid. What did you think of this as a reader? I loved it, but I want a sequel. Like, I want I more. The, I want to meet the abominable snow person. I know. I do. I want abominable the Yeti. Abominable snow kid? I want the Yeti. Who had cerulean eyes. I know. Um, also, I want to talk TV. Like, mm-hmm. I have I have strong, like, first and foremost, HBO needs to pick this up. I, 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 think, be, I would like it to be HBO because I actually have that streaming service. I, HBO needs to pick this up. <laughs> hashtag gonna, not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. We're going to bring on uh, um, the guy that does Edward Scissorhands. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. We are going to colorize this, but only a little bit. It's going to be mute colors until Linus makes it to the island. Then it's going to be vibrant. Think like, think like, uh, Wizard of Oz? Yes. But it's going to be more of like a gradual. Like the closer he gets to the ocean. You know they do that. You know they do that in Big Fish too. Of 
course they do, because it's such a good movie. That is exactly what I thought of. Big that Fish movie is an amazing. Gazing. If you've never seen Big Fish, that is one oh. of my all-time favorites. I'll it put is it in so the, in the good. Notes. It's so good. But that's exactly that. That's the vibe this book is. Big, Somehow, like Big Fish and Pushing Daisies in this are all in the same universe, and yeah. I'm here for it. Somehow, and I don't know in what capacity, but somehow Neil Gaiman has to be involved. Well, okay. This, this is has a Gaiman feel, too. Right, and I, I'm picturing Neil and Patrick Harris as Arthur, and I don't know why. Ooh, I think that's a good really, one. I, yeah. I think it'd be great. Do you have it, like, off the top of your head, casting? Well, I do think, like, because I can't not picture Ben Wyatt, I think at the character, the actor's name, Adam, can't think of his last name, Driver? No, not Adam Driver. Not Adam Driver. So that, like, I, that would be okay, but he's not big enough. I also think, um, because I love Big Fish so much, Ewan McGregor. Adam Scott. So Adam, Adam Scott. Scott. Ewan McGregor he's would be great, too. too but little. again, neither of them are big enough to actually no. be Linus. So, but so I, I, I get that. I get the vibe you're going for. But the thing is, we talked, uh, I don't think it needs to be someone that's, like, more um, famous, flamboyant. Um, like Billy, whatever the fuck is that? Thank you. Like he, he's too out there. Like Linus is much more reserved. Right. Um, he's subtle. He, yeah. And I don't just mean that like in the fact that he's gay, I mean that he's just like a subtle human. Yeah. Um, and so I, I can't really give you an answer right now, but, um, but I do think Neil Patrick Harris would be a good Arthur. NPH is life. And I think he would kill this. I mean, if he's not doing one of his like 80 million projects. You know, it would be cool if the guy who played Marshall from How I Met Your Mother played Linus. And then we could all. Oh, he'd be perfect. We could all have a a fan moment with uh, some fanfic between Marshall and Barney. Oh my god, that's actually great! I love it. You know, and he's the perfect body type for it. I know, I know. Perfect. And you can, you can bring on um, Allison Hannigan to play uh, Zoe. She would be a good Zoe. You, you're just cast. You're just pulling now. Just pulling. Just, just all of the people from How I Met Your Mother. Just come and be a part of this project. It'll be fine. Colby could be um, the lady in the office that's always yelling at Linus. Yeah. Colby Smute. Yeah. Um, that's it. Oh, good, April Goodreads. Oh, I gave Any it a five thoughts? out of five. I gave oh. this book a five out of Damn. five. Um, I, I keep okay. saying that I don't do that very often. But, but then you do do it. I lost um, my notes. But I gave it a five out of five. My only, literally, my only issue with this was I did not think the Phoenix was the right choice. And so in the end, I don't know. Like, I feel like did Linus fall in love with them or was he manipulated? I don't know. Right. Um, but the Phoenix wasn't it for me. Like, I just feel like that wasn't the creature I would have gone with. I mean, I didn't write this book and have a billion people buy it. So props to you, TJ Clue. Right. You're like, obviously much is. more than me, but, um, but yeah, I, I, love. I, I want to divorce my husband and marry this book. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Leslie, for bringing this to our attention. Oh, I mean, yes, if you're a fan really- of the pod and you want us to cover a book, we have covered a few books that fans have email sent us. us and, at um, bookbestiespod at gmail.com. Definitely email us. Uh, tag us in social media. DM yep. us. 
Um, We will cover books that fans like. We're actually going to um, be covering some other books this uh, Mm year. We're going to cover Chessie, one of Chessie's favorite books. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I know, um, so next week, we got going. Well, I've got actually, I've got all of the August books next to me, Molly, except the last right. one. So next week, we're doing um, Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, because John Green every season till he comes on. John Green every season till he comes on. This is actually my favorite John Green book, and I have my tabs going, Molly. John Green every season till he comes on. And then we're going to do a TikTok bookstagram favorite it ends with us by colleen hoover and this was my first colleen hoover it'll be mine too and um do you see do you know what the i haven't started it yet because i'm still on john green was it is it all it's cracked up to be we will discuss that on the episode molly damn it uh then we're going to there's actually five books this month so here's the fourth one uh the night circus by aaron morganston august is really busy y'all yeah really busy um so this book i have just such a pretty copy of it like it's just so magical um which is great because this book is full of magic um you pick up the physical book of this because it has just really great like parts in it but um this book is one that i picked because it's historical fiction and it's historical fantasy, and I'm hoping Molly likes it. She hasn't read it, and I don't know. I don't know. I feel a lot of things about it. And then the last book of the month is The Book of Lost Names. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and I don't have a copy of that. I don't um, either. I have okay. it on Audible. Well, that's a Molly Insert pick. picture here. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Molly pick that's historical fiction, so, you know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Molly has uh, made it her a mission to get me to like historical fiction. We're going to find out. But I think that's it. I got nothing else for y'all. Till next time, I guess. Oh, hey, we didn't talk about this. But in August, we actually have a guest coming on. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, we have a bookstagrammer. A bookstagrammer coming on. Her name's Alexa. Uh, she Cozy Blanket Reads. At Cozy Blanket Reads. And we're going to be talking about... a. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which is one of her favorite reads. And we met her this week mm-hmm. uh, to talk about the episode. And guys, I'm so excited. She's really she, cool. She is. We're going to have she's fun. Really cool. And she's got a lot of interesting things to say about a lot of different interesting books. So it's yeah. going to be a great conversation. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great, great conversation. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. That's okay. okay. No, I was just wrapping it up. You're good. I'm wrapping it up. Um, we are exactly on the hour mark. Okay, good. Minus some change. So we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Book Besties. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly and April, not those of anyone else. Today's book was The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Kloon. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins. Editing by Thomas Watkins and music is Sleep Sweetly by Prigida. Don't forget to follow the book besties on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. If you'd like to contact the book besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com.